trying to to not speak too much this morning getting into this. Um, this is high peak allergy season for me, so it's been a lot of fun uh, lately. But we thank God for pollen, and summer is coming. Amen. And we give the Lord honor for his goodness and his mercy and new season. Look at your neighbor and say, new seasons. New seasons in the natural and new seasons in the spiritual, too. We thank him for that. Thank him for his mercy. Incredible worship this morning. Uh, this is one of the few churches that um, I had some personal issues. You know, I love, I'm a worshiper. I'd rather worship than preach any day of the year. Um, I've been taken into some of the um, biggest and smallest churches in our world at times and um, rushed into green rooms and things where people stay do they go to the pulpit and they'll always say and even when I've done Daystar TV and they'll say um, you want to stay back here and I'll say are you kidding me uh, no I'm, no 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 I don't care if I don't have anything good to say I need that worship um, I need that time to be in God's presence God can do so much in that time of worship I've never understood anyone that would get to church missing the worship and I can't understand anyone missing the word as well because the two say the two go together and the word and the spirit are powerful together and uh, need that and as I came rushing in this morning with some personal issues at about 9.15 had to go back there and take care of them um, it's the only church that you could come and when you walk in the door hear the musicians playing another one bites the dust and um, they were playing and then they'd go back into and then the next thing show you glory, but um, you know, I just love that we have real people that know how to worship God and are not Pharisees, um, but the love of the Lord are open to the ways of the Lord. Some of the best musicians in the planet were on this stage and singers. I want you to give God a hand clap of praise for that. So awesome. As I told you, I remember a great church that Pastor Hank booked me in in Oklahoma that he's had a rehab. First public church where we went to that had a men's rehab in Wilburton and Oklahoma and um, I remember the, all their existence they never had musicians a great thriving church they worshiped with CDs their entire existence um, I didn't realize till I went there how blessed we are that in every part of this journey we have had anointed musicians amen so we want to be thankful for that this morning I want to uh, take part two off of part one Wednesday night I'm going to go into a second part on being picked up in and turn around. Look at your neighbor and say, you are being picked up and turn around. How to be fearless and full of faith in a foreign land. How many know we live in a foreign land today? This country is a foreign land. This world is. The Bible says we are passing through. We are to take dominion. We are to take our place. But it is a foreign land. Um, but God has some great things for us. I'm going to start with Genesis. Um, this is why the tent and the altar is here this morning. I want to use them as an illustration, as I often like to do, to illustrate some points, but I want to get you into being picked up in time of turnaround. We're going to look at about three different places where people were picked up during turnaround, and I will explain what that means in a moment. The Wednesday night crowd already heard what turnaround means to the media and in Hollywood, and it is a great term. Can I get an amen? Amen. Genesis 13 and verse 4, speaking of Abraham, and Abraham went up, verse 4, 
firstborn from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been. Everyone say, had been. There are moments in your life you have got to go back to the altar that you built at one time and to the tent that you staked, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first, everyone say at first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So he goes to where his tent had been and to the place where he had built an altar. I'm going to read this verse and then we'll pray. Psalms 86 and 10 says, For you are great, O Lord, and you perform. Say, God performs great miracles. Say, God performs great miracles. The psalmist goes on to say, you alone are God. You know, the day before a miracle, one day before a miracle, it's difficult to believe that the miracle was possible. But one day after a miracle, it is impossible not to believe that the miracle was possible. Before we pray, if you don't believe that, ask Bartimaeus one day before his miracle. If blinded eyes could be open, he would say it was impossible. But check him out a day after his miracle came, and he would tell you it's impossible not to believe because now I can see. Can I get an amen? Ask the child who was throwing himself because of a demon spirit in him into the fire a day before the miracle. Ask his mama or his daddy, is it possible for a miracle, for a demon to leave a child? Is it possible for that child to gain back his sanity or her sanity? One day before, they would have said it's impossible. One day after, if you were to ask them, they would say it is impossible not to believe. One day before, one season before, it's hard to believe. But one day after and one season after, it's impossible not to believe. There are movies called The Day After Tomorrow, The Day After Today, The Day the World Ends, The Day We Never Breathe, The Day We Never Live, The Day We Never Walk. But let me tell you this morning, the day after a miracle is the sweetest victory day you'll ever experience when God did what was impossible, God did what was imaginable, God did what in the human scope of things looked impossible, but God and God alone did it by his power and by his glory. If you are looking forward to a day after when it is impossible not to believe that he is able to do what he had just did in your life, then give him a shout of praise in this house today, the day after. Look at your neighbor and say, hold on. Don't give up. The day after is coming. Father, in the name of Jesus, we welcome your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this time of worship. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to your people. I pray for you to take these little fishing loaves in my weaknesses and everything that I am not this morning and speak to your people. Holy Spirit, I pray we sequester our minds to hear your word these next 40 minutes to receive from you. No one else is going to get it for us, but each one of us by ourselves. So this morning, we tune in to the station of God's word. We don't let ourselves go to the right or the left, but we listen to what you have to say. And we believe for your word to change us, refresh us, renew us, and let us leave altered out of this place to go make a difference in the world. In Jesus' name, and the church said amen and amen. Amen. Give God a hand clap of praise. That's all right this morning. That's all right. 
the day after uh, this um, incredible uh, man named Abraham begins to speak to us this morning, Wednesday night, I shared with our Wednesday night um, a study class that First John 5 and 10 in God's world translation says those who believe in the Son of God have the testimony of God in them. Jesus did not ask you to be his attorney. He did not ask you to set a case for him. He simply asked you to be a witness and to record to others what God has done for you in your own life. That means I don't have to know theologically everything and sometimes we just mess it all up when we're talking to unbelievers, when we're talking to someone in a weary situation, when we're talking to someone who's just fixing to give up. We want to come up with every theological and do an exegesis on the scripture but I've learned that humans just want to hear you say I don't know about what's going on in your life and I don't have have all the reasons. I don't have the explanations, but this one thing I do know. I know what God has done for me. I remember when I was bankrupt in 1992. I'm just filling in the blanks. Come on, somebody. I remember the divorce I went through in 2000. I went, I'm just blaming some things. I remember when I was hooked on crack and could not get out of that crack. I remember that, and I want to tell you, I can't explain everything about this fallen world, and I I can't explain everything about God, but I am a witness to record for you what God has done for me, and if God has done it for me, then God can do it for you. Somebody give God a shout of praise in this house. Sharing your life message, and a, a statement that we made Wednesday night is, before we get into this, is that often the world looks at preachers and pastors and teachers and professors and scholars as salesmen. You know, I don't know about you, but if someone's trying to sell me something, I want to talk to someone that's not trying to sell it. Anybody else? I want to talk to someone that's used this product and has found that this product works and they're not getting a bonus off of it. Can I get an amen from anybody? I want to find somebody that I feel, well, that's very untrusting. I think that's where we all are because we look at a salesman has something to gain if they're trying to sell me something. But when you share your story with the world, you share your story in a way that the world looks at you as a satisfied customer. Someone that says, you know what? I just want to share what he's done for me. Pastor Hank and I, Marcus Lamb got us into Herbalife years and years ago. They're our best and dearest friends and we were all evangelists and they were in Herbalife and Herbalife you took this protein and this power to lose weight and to get healthy and we would go to these big meetings if you've never been to an Amway meeting or you've ever, never been to a Mary Kay or Tupperware or Body by V, Body by Joe, Body by Sally, whatever's going out there right now. If you've never been into one of these conventions, they hoop you up and, and the leader gets up among thousands of people and they're cheering you on. And the leader kept saying this, the founder of Herbalife. What you need to say to people when people say, well, will this product do that? Will this product do that? This product have natural things in it. Does this product have that? He said, you just say, well, I don't know about that, but what I do know is I I lost 30 pounds, and I did lose 10 pounds at that time, off of Herbalife. Well, I don't know about that, but what I do know, I mean, I can't tell you all the ingredients in this, but what I do know is that I've got a lot more energy in my body since I've taken it. And you know what? Sounds kind of silly, but guess what? It works. You know what? You and I are not called to give our life message in such a way that we understand everything that's happened in our life, bad 
are good or that we have an explanation for all the things going wrong in your life, the world does not need your theological answers. Take a note from Rick Warren, whose Twitter and Facebook is blowing up right now after the suicide that his son took his own life. Why? Because people are watching someone give real, honest answers. I hurt. I'm full of pain. But my hope is in God. Not someone patty-caking and trying to give a theological answer, but someone that just says, I'm at the bottom. I can barely hold on. But I want to tell you this. God got me through the last thing I went through. And somehow God is going to get me and going to get you out of the same thing. Somebody give the Lord praise this morning. We often growing up in the church of God, which is my background, we're very thankful for our roots. We, uh, my father was an official of the church of God, so I'm very thankful. But we often had people tell their salvation story, and I love to hear it. And we've done times like that when we've done that, just to be a reminder, a refresher to all of us. But remember, besides your salvation story, you have a personal story for every time God came through that it didn't look like he was going to come through. And you need to share that story. First Thessalonians 1 and 19 in the message said your lives are echoing the master's word the news of your faith in God is out we don't even have to say anything more you're the message look at your neighbor and say you're you're the message come on tell him you're you're the message what kind of message is your life giving this morning we're going to start with Abraham whose life message was one of faith Abraham who built an altar and a tent several times in his life and I'll tell you about that but Abraham got picked up in a time of turnaround. I want to tell you what turnaround means so as we go through this you'll understand. Um, in the industry, in the movie industry, there's something they call development hell. Anybody else feel like you've been through development hell? You can't see what's developing, you don't understand it. Well, they call it that way because they work on a movie in pursuit of happiness. Almost didn't get picked up. It went through development hell, which has been a major message to the world that one man can be broke and sitting in a subway bathroom with no pants on and the next day he can be a stockbroker. Come on somebody. That sometimes God sends messages to the world to remind all people if the world can get it and can turn it around. Why do you think for a minute that I the Lord cannot do the same for you? Can you say amen? And sometimes our movies will go through development hell and they'll get put into turnaround. Turnaround, let me listen to this, is when a studio has officially given up on a movie after years of development. Now, this is craziness. Listen, listen, listen. Don't tune me out, because wait till I tell you the movies that got picked up during Turnaround. You see, they put it in Turnaround because the studio says, you know what? We see that a story, or well, we see this is a good idea, and we see a script, but we're having a hard time figuring out the story. So after all this money, and all this time, and all these actors working on these movies, it gets put in turnaround. And turnaround is where often people say, there's no hope for that movie. Pursuit of Happiness got put into turnaround. Because they'll say, I see something going on here, but I just can't figure out the story 
story. So the producers, the owners of the production companies, the movie companies, put the movie, they just shifted into turnaround, meaning I'm just throwing it out here. I don't want it. I don't see that this is going to work. But if somebody else comes around and they see that this will work, they can come in and pick this movie up. You know, often we look at our lives and we think, you know what? I know something's going on here, but I cannot figure out the story. Can anybody wave a hand and agree? I cannot figure out the story. With the greatest irony, as the gentleman says in his book, some of the biggest hit movies were picked up in time of turnaround. Say, turnaround isn't the end of the world. What movies that I'm talking about? Forrest Gump, which grossed $677 million and won the Oscar for Best Picture, was put in turnaround saying there's nothing here. But guess what? Someone saw it, picked it up, and made $677 million. Can you say amen? Slumdog Millionaire grossed $377 million worldwide and won the Oscar for Best Picture. But it was put in turnaround. That's not good enough for you? Well, here's the clincher. Anyone that's breathing knows this one, especially the people underneath 30 know this movie. What about Twilight? Yes, Twilight, the teen vampire romance franchise, was picked up by Paramount out of turnaround. Even though the books were major bestsellers, no one believed that the film would work. So it got pushed into turnaround saying, I don't see nothing in this and there's nothing. We've worked and we've worked on it, but here you go. Isn't that the way the world does us and we do with our own life? We pitch our own self into turnaround and say, I just can't figure out how this story is going to work. And so we shift our hopes, we shift our dreams, we shift our vision into this place called turnaround and say there's nothing in there and thank God that he picks up you and he picks up me out of the seasons of turnaround and says, come on somebody, there's more than you can see to the eye. So, guess what? Twilight Films got picked up and have grossed at the time of this book, even more now, two billion worldwide. You want more evidence? That turnaround isn't such a big deal? Well, consider Frank Pierce, a famous Columbia executive. He passed on E.T. Oh, come on, somebody. He passed on Star Wars. He got put in turnaround. Oh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, I bet he wishes the day he never did that. Come on, somebody. And my all-time favorite in 1970, Universal gave up Lord of the Rings, and it went into turnaround, thinking there was nothing in it. But guess what? New Line ended up picking it up with Peter Jackson at the time of the writing of this book. It had made over three billion worldwide. You see, even if one person doesn't see your potential, even if one company didn't see your potential, even if somebody doesn't see your potential, even if those you want to buy into your vision and your ministry, your life, your business, however that looks for you this morning, even if they don't, guess what? God shows us through the industry of movies that he, just like production companies, can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think or hope or ask. Somebody give God praise this morning. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to get picked up at a turnaround. <laughs> we 
often look for someone to welcome us. Abraham in Genesis 13, in 12 and 13, in 12 Genesis, uh, Abraham got out of his country, a message we've preached many times, and left. He began to build an altar and he began to pitch his tent toward the direction he wanted to go to be picked up at a turnaround. Let us take a lesson right out of the gate this morning in these final 25 minutes of this message that you have to pitch your tent in the direction you want to go. If you're a single woman this morning, let me tell you something. You are not going to find the Boaz of your dreams at a bar with your beer goggles on. Come on, somebody. You are not going to find the man that's going to be the man of your dreams and love you like you see godly man. you got to stop pitching your tent toward a direction where you will not find anyone. If what you want is so valuable, whether it's a husband or it's a wife, hold on like Abraham. Keep pitching the direction, the trajectory of your life toward the place you want to go and believe God that in his due season and his due time, you're going to get picked up out of turnaround and your Boaz will come. Come on, somebody. Give God a hand clap of praise. I wasn't going to say this, but my dearest friend lost her husband. Church of God pastors in Georgia for many years, worked with our dear, dear friend Jim Bolin for many years, and then pastored, and her husband went to be with the Lord because of cancer, and she, her walk of faith I've preached many times. She pitched her tent for his healing. When the healing didn't come and he got healed and taken to heaven, she pitched her tent, and on his deathbed in that hospital surrounded with 35 to 40 people, she said, I will follow you. You are my Jehovah. I trust you. My heart is breaking. My life is over. My children are standing here. But I don't care that you didn't do it the way I wanted you to do it. I still pitch my tent towards you, Jehovah. And I believe and I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. I don't know what my future is, but I know you hold my future. I'm going to tell you, come on. I saw her for five years walk out that journey right down here in this altar at our conference about Three years ago, three and a half to four years, Billy Burke called her out and said, what do you need from the Lord? And she said, I'm looking, I'm, my husband is dead. I'm, I'm, I'm a widow. I don't know. I, I just, I need my life to be put back together. And he said some things to her. And then he said, he said, listen, woman of God, God is sending you a Boaz. But in the meantime, he's going to protect you from the wrong relationships. But he is sending a Boaz. I'm going to tell you, I saw, I could, t I could fill up an hour right now telling you about the wrong relationships that tried to come to her in some very humorous and funny ways. That's a message for another time. Look at your neighbor and say, a message for another time. But I saw her belief. I saw in the most. Did she get discouraged? Yes. Did she cry? Yes. She wanted to remarry. She loves being married. She loves having people around her. She wanted this prophecy to come to pass. And we remind each other, God is protecting you from a wrong relationship. God is protecting you from a wrong relationship. It went on and on and finally about a year and a half ago, she said, you know what? Stop being pitiful, Melissa. That's what she said. And she tell you this today. She shared her testimonies many times. Stop being pitiful and stop being a victim. Get up and work your business like the woman of God you're supposed to be and stop crowding in the corner. Pitch your tent toward your destination and, and, and begin to move that way. So she said, I stopped having a pity party for two weeks. She laid on her couch and watched Lifetime for Movies in December. How many know that depress anybody? Come on, somebody. She, she, and then she said she just got up and she said, stop being pitiful. 
stop it. It doesn't matter if no one's here for you, no one's helping you. Do it for yourself. She got up, and in the last year and a half, in her company, Juice Plus, she has gone to marketing national director, a woman that never worked outside of the home the whole time her husband was alive. She became national qualifying sales director, has shared the stage with many famous people. I don't even know their names, but if I said them, you would know their names. She has traveled around the world sharing us her business. She has blessed everyone above her and everyone beneath her. Money has just come. She's blessed us. She's blessed so many people. This is a widow who in one day decided, you know what? Maybe life hasn't gone the way I want to, but I'm not going to sit and have a pity party. I'm going to get up. I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to pitch my tent. It's in my hands to work. I can do this. I saw her work, and she's my sanguine friend. She wants to talk an hour every day until what is just happening. I'm going to tell you. She don't want to talk an hour a day anymore, but I'm going to tell you about that in a moment. But anyway, she's pitching her tent toward that way, and she's working. She's calling me every day. She's up at five. She's calling. She's building her team. She's going. She's going. She's going because she believes in nutrition. She believes that what you eat can be a great factor in keeping you from having cancer. She has a conviction in that belief, and so she's gone with it. And then just about last fall, after she got everything together, was selling to the top, going now toward full benefits for the rest of her life. I can't even tell you all she's getting because I don't think it'd be right. Now she's moving toward another level and going there at speed. The director of the company told the assistant that she's awesome. She's the best thing ever happened to Juice Plus all over the world, but she'll never make it by that deadline. She said, don't you tell me that. Don't you tell me that. You see, when you begin to pitch your tent, when you begin to believe that you've got God in you and God with you and God for you, Abraham pitched his tent in the middle of enemy territory. If you think you've got to be in an office that everybody loves you or work at a school that everybody loves you or live in a city. No person in scripture lived in La La. It's a small world, Disney world, La La fantasy land. Every one of them had to pitch a tent in the middle of enemy territory. But as Psalms 23 says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Can somebody give God a praise this morning? In the middle of enemy territory, people saying you can't do it. She went all the way to the top. He cried. He cried. He said, I can't believe the zeal and the passion of this woman because she got up off her lifetime for a movie couch. You know, I could end this sermon right now. I feel enough of you have got that right now. I could just say goodbye. If everyone in this room, including Rhonda Davis, who is standing on this stage, would get that in her heart today and work as if it depended on us and pray as if it depended on God and get up out of the pitiful and stop looking for a posse to applaud us or a group to gather around us. If it's just you and God, you are more than enough. Somebody give the Lord a praise in this house. And last, last year, someone said, I have a friend, and then this is kind of a long story, but it never kind of connected, never got together, and never went, but I have a friend, here's a picture of him, he's a pilot, he's a widower, it's a long story, didn't tell him everything about his, about his story, and then, this is a great story, then they began to email about the end of March, the same day she made qualifying director, they began to email, he began to share his life, he's a recovering alcoholic, was in um, Betty Ford um, 10 years ago, and now is on the Betty Ford 
uh, Board of Regents, which is the Hollywood's Rehab in Palm Springs. And um, he is a recovered alcoholic. His life is rebuilt. Now he's building and he's put a million dollars of his own money into a place called Serenity, which is for people's families while they're going through Betty Ford. He's going to release it to Betty Ford and come out of Los Angeles because that's not where he wants to live his life. The Lord has just used him. He's a Boaz and he's a beautiful and awesome and a wonderful man, a humble man. I cried in his presence. We cried. They have fallen in love. Um, he is going to surprise her. She won't listen to this, but she already knows. With an engagement proposal in about two months, and uh, they're going to get married. And he also happens to be the former vice president, Dan Quayle's brother. Um, but here's the best part of it. He is her Boaz. She pitched her tent and went through lonely nights, sleepless nights, hard days, hard times of being alone, and she'd say, well, I just want to have a, cook me up with your doctor. I'm not hooking you up with my doctor, Melissa, so we talk to each other. Our doctor, we love him, but he's a universalist. How do you know he's a, I said, Missy, hush. I am not hooking you up. You don't need a cup of coffee with a wannabe Boaz. You're better to drink coffee with me and your friends and just to be by yourself until God brings some of us. And I'm going to tell you, you are better by yourself until God brings you the godly man or woman that he's called into your life. Dry your tears, drink your coke, but don't put your beer goggles on and go back down into Egypt looking for what God does not want for you. God can bring whatever he needs to bring in his time, in his way, and in his season. Oh, somebody give God a hand clap of praise. Wow, none of that was in this message, so I'm going to have to... God told them, build an altar. Build an altar. In Deuteronomy, he said, build me an altar, but don't do it out of gold. Don't do it out of silver. Build me an altar out of stones. Build me an altar out of stones that have not been cut, out of earth and ground. What he was saying is, build me an altar that's going to point to you being my altar, you being my living sacrifice. And the altar is intentional. If you're going to be picked up out of turnaround like Abraham, you've got to build an altar, a place where you say, God, I'm yours. I'm all yours. I'm complete yours. However you see this happening, I'm going to burn my desires and my would-be wants. I'm going to cry a little bit. I'm going to moan. I'm going to put some posts on Facebook that's going to make some of us want to hit you on the head. And I'm going to do some tweets that I shouldn't do. And I'm going to do all this. But when it comes down, the rubber meets the road. I'm going back to the altar where I heard from you in the first place. I'm going back to the place where I'm putting myself in the hot coals of surrender and sacrifice. I'm going back to where I heard from you in the beginning and I'm saying my life is a living sacrifice God. I'm going to burn up the charred ruins of every man-made plan I have for myself and I'm going to wait for you. You see you and I have got to build some place. It can be in your car. It can be on the greenway. It can be pasture when he's out in the woods or fishing is his place. Maybe it's a little corner in my den or on the greenway where I get alone with God with headsets and just speak to God. you got to find a place, an altar in your own life. In the corner of my study is a little place where my chihuahua and me laying down on pillows and I lay before the Lord. I don't get to do it as much as I want to, but it's a place of altar where I lay myself down again and say, this is not what I want. I'm mad. I'm ticked. I'm sad. I'm hungry. I'm weary. I'm frustrated. And if there was a witness protection program, I'd be signing up in it. But there is not. So I'm going to put myself back on the altar and I'm going to say, I'm all yours, God. I'm not going to pitch my tent to 
toward any place but Bethel. Abraham pitched his tent toward Bethel, which meant the house of God. He chose his strategic position, means he positioned himself in the direction he wanted to go. At the tent, we position ourselves with stakes in the ground of the rich soil of the word of God. I'm not putting my stakes in your hopes and dreams for me. I'm not putting my stakes in your favor toward me because you yell crown me and then you'll crucify me. You don't need to put your stakes in me, but we put our stakes in the rich soil of the faithfulness of a God who has been the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can you say amen? And there was a point in Abraham's life that he had to go back to the place where he had first pitched his tent. His faith failed. Yes, the father of our faith, his faith failed. It says a great famine came to the land in Genesis 12 and 13, and Abraham went down to Egypt. A lot of things happened in Egypt. They shouldn't have, and most of you know the story. His, he said his wife was his sister. She got picked up by Pharaoh, and almost the seed was destroyed, and God intervened in the last moment. And uh, the, the man realized this woman is that man's wife. Something's wrong. Their, their house came under a curse. And he knew it. And in that time, Abraham pitched his tent the wrong direction. But let me tell you something. When you come back to the place, some of us need to visit back to that old chair in the woods. My daddy had a little place in the woods. Sometimes you need to crawl back to whatever little place it is where you know you heard from God. Maybe you can't go to North Carolina. You can't go to California. Uh, that's where pastor's first altar of, of reconciliation is. You can't go to those, but you go back to the spiritual place where he first called you, where you know you heard from him. You get back to that because we all take detours. We all take time of disobedience. We all take times that our faith fails. Abraham could believe for that promise afar off, but the provision right in front of him. Oh, anybody else there with me? Oh, I can shout and scream with you over that promise way in your future, but sometimes believing for the utilities on Monday morning in this church, oh my God, I want to go down and get a camel from Egypt. Anybody else? You see, because what's in front of us sometimes is hard to believe for and sometimes we get lost and we get in a relationship we shouldn't be in or we get in a mental state or we pick up a habit we shouldn't pick up. I pick up worry sometimes and I pick up uh, maybe even depression or I pick up fear. Worry is a squatter. She or he will not move off by themselves. You have to evict worry. Worry, when you just can't wave bye-bye to worry. It's going like, oh, I am so out of here. You have to evict worry with the word of God. You have to evict fear with the word of God. When you go down into Egypt, that place of fear and unbelieving and worry, you have to evict it with the rights that are in God's word. You have to speak it. You know what? I know I've said this a million times. Let me move on. But the devil cannot read your thoughts. You thinking the word of God will help you a great deal, but you speaking it makes the principalities and the power hear it. And I know I've taught a lot on words. I can pray over you and pray over you, but you've got to get the gumption, and I've got to get the gumption. I can't call Pastor Billy all the time. I can't call Marcus all the time. I've got to stand up in the midst of my Egypt moments and evict worry with my own words, because God is strengthening every one of us in the place of turnaround. God was strengthening Abraham to be the father of many nations, and God is strengthening you and I this morning morning, you've got to learn to evict worry, evict fear, evict doubt on your own, and speak 
to it and tell it, get out. You're a squatter. Come on, get out. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. Go back. Go back to that altar. Pastor Todd, go back to the place that you really called you. We aren't to decorate our altars, Austin, with gold and silver. When you go to Israel, I heard Mike Kay's recently recounting, Pastor of Covenant. We love Pastor uh, Mike Kay's in Dallas. And um, I heard him talking recently about going to Israel. And uh, he said, Mike, going to Church Nativity, where Jesus must have been born. And you go to some beautiful places. When you go to Church Nativity, I was telling Hope House girls, Ooh, there's nothing really awesome about it. It's a Greek Orthodox church. The, the most awesome thing about it is it was built 1,400 years ago. And in this country, where is the opportunity? When you go to Europe, you get to visit a lot of those. In Italy, I've heard I've only been to Europe. I mean, to England, London. But you get this old 1,400 building. And these Greek Orthodox men are waving their incense, chanting, Megorian chants up. You're like, hello, where are we? And you go down, down. They take you down, down, down the staircase. It's hot. It's quiet. You ever been in a hot and quiet place? It's horrible. And um, I don't know if it would be better if it was loud and hot. Uh, but it's quiet and it's hot and people are passing. And they say, look down into this deep hole. I mean, you know, I'm just trying to hang there with Perry Stone. That's who I've gone with twice. So different. Look down into this deep hole and see where Jesus was born. And you're looking down to this deep hole where Jesus was supposed to be born. And they put a little gold star there. And like a Hare Krishna symbol or something is hanging over it. And there's a small. And I'm just like, this is not what I was expecting. I want to see the hay people. I want to see the manger people. I want to be out in the field. We are the sheep and the goats when I need them. And the camels and those wise men we've had to hire from other churches in most of our Christmas productions. Where are they right now? Where are they? You know, and so you're thinking all this, but my case said his dad, as he was beginning in the state of Alzheimer's, they didn't know he had it at that time. He's a great professor of theology, but he was down there and his daughter, who's a preacher, the man's granddaughter, but Pastor Mike's daughter, was walking with him, and they got down here, and everything got quiet, and it got hot, and they're all looking down the deep hole, and he goes, what are we doing here? And, and she said, Daddy, shh, shh, Daddy, Granddaddy, Granddaddy, shh, shh, Granddaddy, this is where Jesus was born, shh, 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 this is where Jesus was born. He goes, well, I'm going to tell you all right now, Jesus sure wasn't born here, and Jesus is not in a million miles of this place. And, uh, of course, they all just exited very quickly. But that's what happened happens when you try to decorate an altar. You can't decorate an altar. An altar is a place of living sacrifice. And when they slayed things in the Old Testament, before we move on to our other two people, when they slayed things in the Old Testament, those animals could not crawl off the altar. The sad thing for you and I as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, when we pitch our tent, and I'll use these two points in our next two people in these closing 15 minutes, but when we pitch our tent toward the place we want to go, when we put ourselves on the altar of sacrifice and say, God, I'm yours. You can crawl off anytime you want to. You're not like that lamb. You can crawl off. Who in this room has not crawled off? In a moment when God said, I need your surrender. I need your sacrifice. But when the heat was on our back and all hell was pressing through, we said, this is too much. I told the Hope House girls, you have rights. We all have rights. You can go down here to KFC, pull out a gun, and shoot everyone in KFC. You have that right to do it. You will be taken to jail, and you will suffer many consequences. But you have that right. You have a right to get drunk as a skunk and drive down the middle of the road any day you want to. You have that right in yourself. You are a human being. You have that will. God gave you that choice. You have a right to marry anyone you want to because you say you love them. You have a right 
to go spend all your money not have a penny in your bank account. You have a right to do all of that. But in God's kingdom, you lay yourself down and you pitch your tent and you say, you know what? I'm laying those rights down. I'm laying those rights down that I want to hold on to. I have a right to have someone in my life, even if it's outside the will of God. I have a right to do this. I need this. I want this. I have a right to seek it from this place. But you see, when you lay your rights down, when you lay yourself down the altar, Abraham was saying, I lay down my rights. I have a right to go anywhere I want to. I have a free will. I can do anything I want to. I have a right to be mad. I have a right to be angry. I have a right to be offended. I have a right to take vengeance. And yes, within your human will, but in the kingdom of God, if you want to be picked up out of turnaround, you and I have got to lay our rights down on the altar of sacrifice and say, you know what? I give up these rights because what I want is a better day. I want a better future. I'm going to pitch my tent for something powerful, something greater, something more beautiful. I'm going to lay them down. If you believe that, would you give Lord a hand clap of praise this morning? Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to be picked up. At a turnaround, Pastor AC, if you'll come and play quietly behind me. Another man who pitched his tent toward the things of God was Daniel. I want to pass quickly through these two before we get to the end. Was Daniel. Daniel pitched his tent toward the will of God and the future of God. Listen to me. I, the Lord just would not let me get away from putting this man in here, one of my personal favorites. Daniel was the resident strong one. And I feel like this morning there are people in this room and maybe you have said in your thoughts, I'm tired of being strong. I'm tired of being strong in my marriage, maybe. I'm tired of being strong in my office. I'm tired of being strong in my business. I'm tired of being strong by myself. Daniel was a resident strong one who pitched his tent toward the things of God, though he lived literally in a foreign land in Babylon. I've taught 13 weeks on Daniel, so I just have to pass in a moment right here because I love his life. As a minister, I find so much solace in him and the Apostle Paul. Daniel had been faithful to Nebuchadnezzar. He had been faithful to Belshazzar. He'd helped Nebuchadnezzar be restored. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. He'd helped Belshazzar with the word in interpreting the writing on the wall. Then Darius the king comes on the battle. I mean, here's Daniel. Here's Daniel. Keep pitching his tent toward what he wants. Doing the right thing. Listen. Though the right thing doesn't seem to be happening to him. You ever been there? You ever consistently done the right thing and felt like the right thing is not coming to you? Daniel's life speaks to you this morning. You're going to be picked up at a turnaround. Pitch your tent the way you want to go. He's living in a place going through a season, Pastor Todd, he does not like. A season of living in a foreign land. A season of being somewhere he didn't want to be. But he was called to enforce decisions from heaven on earth. No one asked to do that. I feel like, I didn't know who was going to be here this morning, so I feel like there are people in this room this morning that you feel like you've been called to enforce heavenly blessings and decrees in other people's lives, but you never signed up for that. As most pastors I know say, I didn't ask you for this, God. This was not my childhood dream. As most mothers and fathers would say, I didn't ask to be here. As most people in every position I didn't ask to be here. Daniel spent his life investing in others. Daniel was strong when everyone was weak. Daniel was encouraging the three when no one was there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the Timothys of Daniel. People consistently forgot Daniel. He was overlooked consistently, and he was rewarded consistently. 
But here he is pitching his tent when the decree comes down to not pray just for 30 days. I mean, how many of you in this room believe that you not praying for 30 days would be a bad thing? It's kind of convicting, isn't it? What are we saying in our prayers is so mighty? What is our belief in our prayers? We can be picked up at a turnaround, be fearless in a foreign land, pitching our tent in the right direction. That for 30 days, Daniel believed his prayers were so mighty. He believed what he had to say to God was so awesome. There was no way he could miss 30 days. So we know what happens. He goes and pitches his tent toward the east, toward Jerusalem, and he continues to stand in the gap. Even though a decree came down from the king because people hated Daniel, and they sought to kill him. Listen, your assassin reveals your assignment. Listen to me. The assassins against your future, your destiny, whether they are fear or worry or literal enemies, attacks, whatever those, they reveal your assignment. When you start pushing in, I said to someone yesterday, a spiritual daughter, I said, you know, about two years ago when I realized this church was really supposed to be a hospital, everything started changing, and we started streamlining into the gutter, I really got it, and then everything went boom, 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 crack, crack. She said, Mama, could that maybe why everything went boom, 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 crack, crack, crack? Because you streamlined into where you knew the downtrodden, the drug addict, when you really got it. I told her, I said, I'll tell you this much, I wouldn't care if I never stood on another church stage again. And I've preached to some of the best. My heart is beating passionately right now for the gutter. My heart is beating passionately right now for the drug addict and prodigal. And if they're not to be found in those places, I don't want to go and stand on those places. I've preached many a day to the Pharisee. I've preached many a day to the religious and many a day to the downtrodden hurting. Oh, yeah, yes, on Daystar, on TBN. It's usually those who respond. One time I did with Perry Stone, and there's so many incredible emails that came through. I had to anoint the computer because they were... Oh, my Heavenly Father, they were hor horrific to read. You didn't want to believe those things were going on, but we were teaching on deliverance and coming out of homosexuality. And, and so all of those, but you see, this is where my heart is. Sometimes when you streamline, an assassin will realize you're on the verge of really doing what you were called to do. An assassin from hell will realize, wow, nothing you've done before scares us, oh man and woman of God. But if you get this and you start to move in your personal gift, your personal heart for the Lord. If you really get that, this is going to be destruction. This is going to be increase for the kingdom. And we got to do something about it. Let me tell you something. An assassin may reveal your assignment, but if you keep pitching your tent, you will be like Daniel. The night that Daniel spent in the lion's den had to be the longest night of his life. He didn't sleep a week going into it. It seemed like the worst, listen, and the last thing that would ever happened to him. Anybody else ever been there? Ooh, I'm there right now. The last and the worst thing that would ever happen to me is what we usually feel about our present season. But coming out of it, everyone say coming out of it. Everyone say coming out of it. Everyone say coming out of it. Coming out of turnaround, it proved to be the best thing that ever happened to Daniel. His faith didn't just shut the mouth of lions. His faith brought an earthly king and kingdom to its knees. Maybe you and I coming out of our personal turnaround, woo, will bring an earthly king of addiction, of depression, of oppression, of habits, of overcoming oppression to its knees and the kings of the earth to their knees as we see and say our God reigns over every idol in the earth. Somebody give God a shout of praise. Out of turnaround, out of 
out of turnaround comes one more pass quickly by till we get to the last moment. And that is, I'm good. I've got about six minutes. And Zacharias and Elizabeth were there, and I appreciate them a lot. But they are, I just picked my favorite turnarounds. They got picked up at a turnaround. They were blameless and righteous before the Lord. They'd been the strong ones. They had been the faithful ones. They showed up for choir 15 minutes before choir started. Come on, somebody. They cleaned the commode every Sunday and Wednesday. They kept the kids when no one wanted to keep the kids. They ran queen for a day. They played the guitar. They played the drums. They worked the media. They were there early, and they stayed late. Can I get an amen from a faithful man or woman in the house? Oh, they were the ones. They carried the weight. Sometimes they felt like they were the only ones that were carried. But let me tell you, they and Daniel and Abraham walked away with no regrets. I can't decide for you how you're going to fit into the kingdom and what you're going to do in your local body and how you're going to fit in and keep that body going. But I know when my time is done, I shall have no regrets that I have spent myself for the king and the kingdom. That's your choice to make. They had spent themselves, but they were blameless and barren. They did not have children and we know they were the conversation of the dinner table. Good. We got another 15 minutes. Let the rain go by. Listen to this. They were the conversation at the dinner table. You know the pitiful talk. The long time of nothing. Oh, come on now. The devil's good to always tell you what people are saying. A long time of nothing going on. A long time of pitiful. A long time of days. Nothing is happening for Zacharias and Elizabeth. Nothing is coming through. Nothing is coming forth. But then we know on that special day, I'm not going to preach about that day. I've preached about it. But when an angel came in, when Zacharias had just showed up on the day of incense, the Lord had fallen to him, and he's in there just being faithful, not expecting anything, but just being faithful. Sometimes your greatest expectation is just being faithful. Come on, somebody. Sometimes your greatest expectation is just showing up. Well, I don't feel like going in there and getting something from God. I don't feel like doing this. You know what? Your greatest warfare may be by just showing up, by being on time with a smiling face even though your heart is crying. Well, I don't feel, I didn't feel like coming this morning. I almost woke pastor up at 7 said, you're going to have to preach. I didn't feel like physically I could do this this morning. You know what? But I thought, I'm going to get up. I'm going to get my clothes on. I'm going to get some things together and I'm going to show up because pastor has a horrible situation with his eye. He can hardly see from allergies. I'm going to be there. I'm going to tell you this. I've learned in my life, you can beat the devil just by not quitting, showing up, being there, being consistent, being faithful. You will outlive him. And they outlived him and an angel showed up and tapped Zacharias on the shoulder and said, your prayer's been heard. That's a whole nother sermon, but your prayer's been heard. Taped his mouth shut because he couldn't believe. But your prayer's been heard. But what I love is this. People don't preach this part. I've never preached this part, but in my private time of studying the Lord, first of January, I found this and I loved it. Listen, this couple's come out of turmoil. For years, everyone's talked about them and said they're barren. Nothing good. Please, their hearts. Hope God can do some. Hope they get the consolation prize at the fair for the best pig. But they're never going to win over the biggest pig. And they're never, their jam, I just like to talk natural, their jam is never going to win at the carnival. And uh, their entry into that cooking contest or that car, they're, they're never going to get the raise. They're never going to be the boss. They're never going to get the promotion. Bless their hearts. They're just going to have to live in sinky-winky land in the place of where things just don't good happen to you. That's what Sinky Winky, I just made that up, people. That's a place where nothing good happens to you. But listen, someone say, out of, turn around. Out of 
of turnaround comes Zacharias and Elizabeth. Out of turnaround, way past the age of something great could happen. After every studio had said, nothing good's going to come out. We're just going to pass up. <laughs> Woo, that's good, Lord. Thank you. And we're just going to pass up on this situation right here. We're just going to bless their souls. Feel so. I see sometimes people that look at me pitiful. You can look at me pitiful all you want on the way you think about me and what's going to come out of my life. Look as long as you want. Because guess what? I've come out of about 24 other seasons in my life of when I was 18 and on up when people signed me up. But guess what? They forgot who signed me up. They forgot who had his hand on me. They forgot what he could do. And guess what? Don't you be looking at people down there at Walmart. Don't you be looking at people down there at the department store. Don't you be looking at people at work signing them off. You may have forgotten. I may have forgotten who has signed them up. Come on, somebody. And I love this. Everybody talks about how bad news spreads quick. Amen? Bad news spreads quick. This 24-hour news cycle, my goodness, where people are, are just uh, fearful. Bad news spreads quick. But guess what? This is what the Word says in Luke about Zacharias and Elizabeth. After John was born, Zacharias opened his mouth. It said, the Word spread quickly to the neighbors and the relatives that the Lord had been very kind. Woo! to Zacharias and Elizabeth and everyone rejoiced with them. At a turnaround people will rejoice with you. At a turnaround news will spread quickly about how God just gave you that race. Come on somebody. It says wonder fell upon the whole neighborhood the region and if they'd had CNN or Fox this would go on international. Come on somebody. And the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Y'all can't even grasp that because I can't speak a lesson on history for news to spread through the Judean hills about one baby Whoa! coming to a man and a woman past the time you gotta know there was a turnaround that somebody was in awe of somebody give the Lord praise and it says and everyone that heard we're getting ready to pray just reflected upon these things and said I wonder what this child will turn out to be for surely the Lord is upon him in a special way. Child was John the Baptist that we sang about this morning. Prepare the way, the one who prepared the way of the Messiah. You see, no one wanted to pick Zacharias and Elizabeth up, but God did. No one thought that they could have a baby, but that baby was the one that the scripture said to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide those into the path of peace. Because God's tender mercy is about to lie from heaven upon us. Someone give God one more praise in this house this morning. I want you to stand all over this building. I'm going to tell you the last point as you stand, and we're going to pray together. Listen to you. Today is Pentecost Sunday all over the world. Abraham pitched his tent. I'm going to talk about when Pentecost came this last moment to get ready to increase your faith. He pitched his tent. Daniel pitched his tent. Zacharias, Elizabeth pitched their tent. What does that mean for you and I? Focus yourself the direction you want to go. Your goals, your motivation, your intent. Who do you want to be? You want to be a drink, a beer drinking, guzzling daddy to your babies? Then keep on at it. Or do you want your babies to see a man of God? Do you want to be a mama who, who consistently takes pills? Or do you want to be a mama that's a godly woman? Who do you want to be? Pitch your tent. And there's a lot of other things I could say that would deal with most of us. Pitch your tent. Daniel pitched his tent in a foreign land where not many people noticed him. And the angel said to him, Daniel, you'll rise to your inheritance. Daniel, go in peace. Your reward is coming. 
Some of you need to be reminded your reward is coming. Keep pitching your tent. Don't look to other people to reward you. There are earthly rewards, but you will rise to inheritance. You will rise to a day that God will reward you. You will rise to the moment that you will understand why it was important for you to show up and be there. Because you pitched your tent. You gave yourself on the altar of sacrifice. Zacharias and Elizabeth pitched their tent toward God even though nothing was going the way they wanted. Though in their hands they did not hold their greatest prayer. They kept being faithful. They kept saying, God, I trust you. God, I love you. God, I want to keep showing up. I don't care what anyone's saying about me. I'm going to keep laying myself, giving myself to you and to your people. I'm going to keep doing what you've called me to do. And somewhere along the journey, God, you're going to show up. And God did. When we find 11 men, one who died, the 11 men, period of time called ellipsis, a pause, an unfinished thought in grammar, a place after Calvary, but a place before Pentecost, a place that they must have felt a lot after the resurrection, like those in Zechariah 8 and 6, that it was written for just for them, take heart and finish, listen, this task, all this may seem impossible to you a small and discouraged remnant of God's people. But do not think this is impossible for the Lord Almighty. The small remnant of people who endured, listen to this, the ellipsis was seven weeks, 49 days, 2,076 hours that they endured waiting for the promise. These 11 who had traveled with Christ, who had been with Him, who at the Sea of Galilee when he, they couldn't feed the hungry, one of my favorite little points, and Jesus said, what shall we do? And the Bible says he said this in order to test them. He said that he knew what he was going to do, but he wanted to see, have you caught up with who I am yet? Have you caught up with what I can do? Have you caught up with where I am? Have you caught up in what I can do with my hands? You've seen me heal the blind. Sometimes we don't stake our claim. We don't pitch our tent toward all the promises of all the things that we've seen him done in our past, standing by the Galilee of our own life. And he says, what shall I do, Rhonda? And I say, oh, oh God, I don't know. Like the disciples, there's just too many people. Too many people have problems. God, this mountain is too big. God, there's no way you can get us through. There's no way you can get us over. We've all been there. That's what the disciples said. It's late in the day. The stores are closed. There's no way to feed this. But the Bible said in the cha, it was a word that he was using in Greek. He was testing them to see where they were. You see, in times of our life, God tests us to see. What shall I do, Todd? Todd has a mountain. What shall I do? God is waiting to hear from Todd's mouth. This is what we're going to do, God. We're going to trust in you, Jehovah. We've seen you shut the mouth of lions. We've seen you part the Red Sea. We've seen you make a way where there has been no way in the past. We've seen you raise up dead people. We've seen you do miracles. So God, I don't know, but I'm excited. And here's the one loaf and the half a fish I've got left. God, if you checked me out a year ago, I'd have had a basket. But today I'm standing with a little. But here it is. Here's a little bit of the fish. And here's a little bit of the loaf. So God, I'm putting it in your hands. I'm pitching my tent toward the promises and the blessings and the power of God Almighty. I don't know what you're going to do. But I know you've got the power within you because you are great and you do wonder. Somebody bless him.
those 11 who did not answer properly, those 11 who ran from the crucifixion, you all know their stories, we've all preached them, those 11 who whimpered and failed, who were weak, those 11 who did not, did not do, after he went, they pitched their tent toward God in the upper room. In the upper room, they pinched their tent toward the place they wanted to be. They staked their claim. This is my destination. I'm going to head this way. I'm not going to say I'm pitiful anymore because Christ is gone. I'm not going to say I'm pitiful anymore. I'm not going to be the one that left him at Calvary. I'm not. You see, God always comes with a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth time for you and I to get it right. Is anybody happy about that? God always comes again and again. And there they are in the upper room. And we know they tarried, they waited. That's what this Sunday's about, Pentecost. Turn around. You talking about turn around? Someone's picked up at a turn around. People saw these 11 fleeing from Calvary. Movie industries would have said there's no story in here. Well, I'm sure they'd love to talk to my new friends of Joni and Marcus, Roma Downey, and her husband to see if there's any money since it went farther than American Idol, the Bible. Come on, somebody. But you know that there's just not a story here. We're just going to put these 11 in turnaround. I, I see there's some plot here, but I can't pick up the story. That's because people peering into your story and you peering into my story, we can't see the rhythm and the grace and the rhyme and the reason of what God is writing in our story. Can you say amen? In turnaround, they let go of them. Everyone said nothing here. But in the upper room, they stayed. They pitched their tent. And they said, we're going to keep praying. We're going to keep believing. We're going to keep showing up. You said that it was better that you went and that you would send him, the Holy Spirit, and that when he come, he would be our counselor. He would counsel your hearts. He would comfort us. Oh, I could preach for hours here, but let's just get on through. He would be our teacher. He would be the one who would whisper behind us, this is the way, walk in it. He would be the strength in our weakness. He would be the power that raised Christ from the dead. He would be the one that the Bible says that restrained the spirit of lawlessness. If you think the earth is evil right now, if you're seeing what's going on on TV and you're freaked out, let me tell you something. If the Holy Spirit didn't have his hand on the grasp of evil it says he restrains evil until it's time for the church to leave the earth let me tell you if he's powerful enough to restrain the spirit of lawlessness he is powerful enough to bring victory into every area of your life and my life and bring turnaround that is beyond our comprehension they understood in God's grammar sometimes we put a period where there should just be a comma there's just a comma right here. Turn the page. Turn the page. Turn the page. Turn the page. So the 11 kept turning the page, praying, and then the Spirit came. And he shook the place with cloven tongues of fire, and all that happened, they were filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which was powerful within itself. But then what happened? They stepped outside of that church, and Peter began to preach. Wimpy, cowardly Peter, mouthy Peter, begins to preach. You! standing here don't think we are drunk as you suppose but the spirit has filled us and whosoever will call on the name of the Lord and he preaches a magnificent sermon that theologians cannot argue with because he realized he was not a struggling magician trying to pull one more miracle out of a hat and the sum of his life did not depend on he alone but from Galilee to Pentecost 11 men were made fully alive and fully conscious and Thousands were added to the church and thousands were fed and these are those that turn 
Lord. Come on, somebody give the Lord a shout. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As every eye is closed. Father,